Hi, Halifax. I'm Grace. And I'm Linnea. And guess what, Linnea? What? The Minute Women podcast is going on tour. Really? Well, sort of. We will be hosting two live shows in Halifax's beautiful North End. Ooh. The first show will be on April 26th at Hopyard on Gottagen Street. Show starts at 7 p.m. And on May 12th, we'll be at Good Robot on Roby Street. Show also starting at 7 p.m. So to stay in the loop and get more details, visit our website, middlewomenpodcast.ca. And check out our social media. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye. How do I start? Like, hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I say, I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. I literally was Every like, time. what do I say? <laughs> I smell burnt toast. Doctor, I smell burnt toast. I dragged my ass out of bed for this picture. <laughs> On Mondays, it's going to be Margarita Mondays. <laughs> Nationwide. <laughs> and feel that reciprocated enjoyment. enjoyment. Oh, my God. It's like we're friends or something. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And just a note, allergy season has hit Nova Scotia. (laughs) And uh, I sound a little stuffy today because nature hates me. (laughs) Uh, For the next couple of months, it's going to be an interesting vocal quality to the podcast podcast (laughs) allergy season also affects pronunciations yeah predominantly pronunciation so how exciting is it that we are going on tour i know of the north end minute women's mini tour minute tour oh my gosh finally bringing it back to Linnea's grandmother thinking this podcast was called minute women yeah which now now it can be the minute the minute The minute minute women tour. So the minute minute women tour. It'll be funny. People love it. (laughs) I like I like minute women minute tour. Yeah, I like that. The minute women podcasts minute tour of Halifax's beautiful North End. Yeah, it is beautiful. What's the acronym for that? (laughs) I don't. I don't. We should make concert tees. (gasps) We should. We should do a limited run. Of concert t-shirts. Of concert t-shirts. Like, let's go to Halifax Prince. Let's get, like, 20 t-shirts made. Yes. There's only 20. That's it. Absolutely. We can sell them. I love that. For, like, 15 bucks a pop. Done. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. It's already done. You can buy them. When you come see our shows, which are on the 26th and the 12th. Yes. 26th of April, 12th of May. Yes, exactly. They will be at 7 p.m. at uh, Hopyard on Gottagen and Good Robot on Roby Street, respectively. Yes, beautiful institutions. Beautiful. With Love so them. much beer. So much beer. So much beer. I was telling friends about the shows and they were like, oh my gosh, good robot beer. And then, oh my gosh, Hopyard Churros. Those were the Hop two. Hopyard has churros? I guess so. And apparently they're amazing. Well, so. I guess we're going to have to have some. The show will be us sitting on stage eating churros for an hour. Yeah. That'll be mostly it. Well, it's also bigger news still about our our minute minute women tour um is that our performance at Hopyard is going to be on their taco tuesday which oh. means that there will be plentiful tacos plentiful uh, tacos. so i was imagining us doing our live show just eating tacos that would be great uh i also think that would be great i also think that'd be enjoyable for other people to watch as long as they have yeah. tacos too i feel like no one's missing out yeah, and like when people get a good deal on tacos, how could the show go wrong? Yeah. You know, everyone's just happy to be there, happy to have a taco. Yep, they also have vegan and gluten-free options. Talking, tacos, you know. Talk show, tacos. Talk show, taco show. <laughs> taco it's show. a taco show. 
This will mostly be the material. Yes, exactly. Uh, word be association. For this. <laughs> weird prompts. Trying to think of acronyms, but not having the brain capacity. Um, if I'm anyone, tired. If anyone can think of that acronym, please let us know. Yeah. Uh, but what what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today we are going to do the Queenston Heights Heritage Minute, which is a new one. I was going to say, I don't New-ish. think I know this one. I guess now it's almost like 10 years old, because that's the weird thing. The revival of Heritage Minutes yeah. is now 10 years old, because they started coming back in like the 2012. However, I also like graduated high school 10 years ago now, <laughs> and that just sounds outrageous. So The Queenston Heights Heritage Minute yes. is, it's we've kind of alluded to Queenston Heights before. It's a battle in the War of 1812. Richard Pierpoint would oh, have fought okay, yes. during this conflict, and I believe at Queenston Heights. Yeah. And so the the highlight of the Heritage Minute is to showcase, you know, British allies that came from many different ethnic backgrounds. So you have... Yeah. Um, I have seen this Heritage Minute. Yeah. There's like some running through like kind of a wooded area. Yes. 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 Definitely. And there's like a one. Mohawk. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it's a battalion, but a Mohawk company... There's a, a black loyalists company and then white British people and they kind of together manage to defeat the Americans. Yes. However, my issue with this heritage minute is, is that's not the reason we actually talk about Queenston Heights. Okay. The big thing in Queenston Heights is, is um, Isaac Brock dies. Isaac Brock. Okay. So Brock University. Oh, Brockville in Ontario. Yeah. These are all places named after Isaac Brock. Okay. Who forever is considered one of the greatest Canadian military heroes of all time. He dies at this battle. And so I thought, not to say that, you know, what they showcase in the Heritage Minute isn't bad, but it's kind of clear cut. And we've already right. talked about the regiment that Pierpoint served with. Right. Um, I don't know quite as much about the Mohawk Regiment, but I thought we could look at the life of Isaac Brock. Yeah. And maybe try and reintroduce that element to this particular event. So he's not cut from history yet. He's not cut from history. I don't know if he's particularly cancelable. He's not like Ryerson or something. Based on what I've learned, he just seems like a weird guy. Exciting little subplot. Um, talking about cancelable things, um, we all know, um, as we've discussed on the podcast and beyond, that um, you don't fuck with Terry Fox. Oh, yeah. And I would just like to let you and all of our listeners know that the new uh, Terry Fox swag from the Terry Fox Foundation is coming out for this year's Terry Fox run. Ooh. And they're pretty sick. It's like... Plain white t-shirts. It's like very basic. It's a plain white t-shirt with a huge portrait of Terry Fox on the front, like an actual picture. It's very cool. I will definitely be purchasing one. Um, And 100% of the proceeds from those t-shirts go to the Terry Fox Foundation. Uh, So, yeah. Someone who will not be canceled is Terry Fox. So buy a t-shirt. You won't have to burn it later. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be able to pass it on for generations to come. Have you seen those TikToks (laughs) that are people going to thrift stores and they're always like go to a th- there's always taxes like go to the thrift store they're like uh you got to check out the heat and then it'll be like it'll cut to them being like the heat and it's them showing some janky t-shirt yeah basically being like thrift stores suck for yeah. the most part you won't have to do that with a terry fox t-shirt absolutely is what not. we're saying absolutely it is not. true heat yeah it is true heat <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, sorry, but uh, I think that's relevant to our show. These are all the things you can expect at our live show. This is real. This is uncut. Come to our live yeah. show. The heat. <laughs> and then expect the heat. And then the heat is us making yeah, puns exactly. about tacos for an hour. Yeah. And telling you that Terry Fox is, is the greatest. You should um, buy a Terry Fox t-shirt. Okay. So, so not that we're like forgetting about Terry. Never. But let's talk about Brock. Let's move on. Let's talk about Brock. Let's talk about Isaac Brock. Isaac. What a name. That's a strong name. Brock. Yeah. Pokemon. I, I didn't have brothers. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> Brock is one of the main characters. Okay. Anyways. I only know Ash. <laughs> okay. He's his buddy. Oh, okay. His buddy. His companion. His companion, if you will. <laughs> if you will. Um. So Isaac Brock is a person I didn't know anything really about. I didn't know why shit was named after him. Cool. Um. So we're going... This is a journey of discovery together. This is good today. because I thought that like Brockville was the place and Brock University was named after that. And I thought that's just like how it was. Like I didn't know that there was like a dude. Mm. Um, so cool. I'm yeah. Excited. Yeah. I definitely remember when Ryerson was getting renamed, people tossing around Brock's name as well. I don't know if that ever came to be, yeah. but I, I'm pretty sure it's still called Brock University. <laughs> cool. So Brock was born at St. Peterport on Channel Island in Guernsey. 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 That's Guernsey. Uh, Guernsey. That's where um It is Guernsey? Yeah, there's a Netflix show about it. Oh. Uh Is it about Isaac Brock? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I think it's um about for some reason I feel like it's about midwives or medics. His family needed a midwife for sure because he's the eighth son oh, of John Brock, who was a midshipman in the Royal Navy, and Elizabeth Delisle, who was the daughter of Daniel Delisle, then Lieutenant Bailiff of Guernsey. Okay. <laughs> I, I just ate children, eight home birth, natural birth, eighth like experience. It's like, oh my God. Because he's the eighth son. That doesn't mean they didn't have more. God. So the Brocks were an English family who had been established in Guernsey since the 16th century. Wow. Brock earned a reputation during his early education on Guernsey as a studious student, as well as an exceptional swimmer and boxer. Okay. Okay. He's got some <laughs> arms on him. Arms yeah. on the kid. The boy's punching. Yeah. Punching and swimming. Punching and swimming. He set out for school at Southampton at the tender age of 10. So he's like, okay, bye, mom, bye, dad. <laughs> I'm going to Southampton now. I've Boy. boxed my way through every child in Guernsey. <laughs> so are we imagining that he swam and boxed pre the age of 10? Yes. Because now that's what I'm picturing. That's what I'm picturing, okay. yeah. I imagine that he's like, he's an incredible boxer. And by that, we mean he beat up the two other children on Guernsey. And he did a really good job. And all seven of his siblings. He swam the English Channel. <laughs> The whole thing. Part of it. Yeah. But, you know, he just goes swimming. But. He just he just got in it. He got in the water. <laughs> so we went to Southampton. He also studied at Rotterdam for a year, and he learned French while he was there. Now he's bilingual. You know where that'll do you some good? Canada. Canada. So despite his lack of an extensive formal education, so, you know, he's like 10, he's going around, he's like, but also I'm a boxer. Bonjour. I'm, I'm picturing a British Rocky. Oh, I love uh, that. Uh, <laughs> Is that good? Oh, that was so good. But like, but like a little louder. And for a long, Adrian. as a child, as a child, like age, like pre ten, so pre his age, pre Brock's age, yeah. I really was confused because like I'd heard the like 
my mom used the trope from a streetcar named Desire, like the Stella. And okay. I'd also heard the Adrian and I got them confused. And I thought it was like one singular like thing. There's like Stanley and Rocky. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I think Stanley and, and Rocky there's some have some similarities. Shared, shared trauma. There's some, yeah, there's some stuff They're there. They're dealing with toxic masculinity. 100%. <laughs> Um, so then I was like, oh, it's two very different movies. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> so despite his ex- his lack of uh, formal education, Brock did appreciate the importance of education. So as an adult, he spent much of his time reading in an, in an attempt to improve his education. He read many works on military tactics and science, but he also loved ancient history and other less immediately practical topics. (laughs) Um, I love that that's how they describe history. At the time of his death, he owned a modest library of books, including classic works by Shakespeare, Voltaire, and Samuel Johnson. He kept a reputation as an unusually tall and robust man throughout his life with an adult height of about six foot two. Okay. Which is for tall the for the time. For the time. Measurements taken from his uniform at his death said that he had a waist size of 47 inches. Pretty big. That's a big man. It's a big boy. For yeah. like this period of time. He's a big good. boy. <laughs> and the inside brim of his hat measured 24 inches. It's a big old head. The way I think of those measurements is through bra size, naturally. <laughs> And I just think, like, I'm a 34, like, around. And so his head is, like, very large. Yeah, only 10 inches smaller. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a big (laughs) circumference. Though Brock was noted as a handsome man who enjoyed the company of women, he never married. Gay. Maybe. Gay. You know. (laughs) He just enjoys hanging out with the girls. He just likes the ladies. It's different. Brock had a successful pre-war military career and a quick rise through the ranks, which many commented on at the time. Some credited luck, while others his skill in his rapid promotions. And Brock had a substantial portion of both in his, his kind of like rise to prominence. Okay. Lacking special political connections, Brock's ability to gain promotions, even when the nation was at peace, attests to his skills in recruiting men and organizing finances and his ambition. Also, he was a boxer who was fairly large for the time, so people probably were scared of him. Just scared, yeah. Yeah. They'll just like they're like whatever you want. Don't you don't have a lot of confidence though, because it's like this is a career path that loves nepotism. Yes, and he's just like I have no connections, but I will prove that I am better than all. He kind of you. sounds like the like a big friendly giant, <laughs> just like a big. <laughs> I don't know how I got here, but uh, I like it. Me and the girls. Yeah, me and the girls go are gonna go out for dinner. <laughs> I enjoy their company. Yeah. I will not marry them. That's when uh, it was talking about his other interests that weren't as relevant. It was baking and was gardening. Baking. Yeah. Less, less immediate, <laughs> yeah, less practical, immediate skills. practical skills. Sewing. At the age of 15, Brock joined the 8th, the King's, uh, regiment on foot on the 8th of March, 1785, with the rank of ensign, and was likely given responsibility for the regimental colors. His elder brother, John, was already an officer in the same regiment. Those are the flags. Yes. The colors are the flags. He got to hold the flags. I know He's that. He's responsible for them. I like, know that. Everyone, screw the women and children. <laughs> Get the flags. And he's like, oh, protect them. That's my cue. <laughs> As was usual at the time, Brock's commission was purchased. On the 16th of January, 1790, he bought the rank of lieutenant. And later that year, he raised his own company of men. 
As a result, he was promoted to captain on the 27th of January, 1791. And then in June of that year, he was transferred to the 49th Regiment of Foot. So he's moving around. He's just moving. He's cruising. So he, his nephew is also his biographer. Okay. So his nephew loved his uncle and wrote his biography, whatever. That's nice. Um, he asserts that shortly after Brock joined the regiment, a professional dueler forced him into a match. Like dueling. Yeah. Like swords. Uh, guns, pistols. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So it was just like, we're going to duel. Like... When, like, at high noon. Yeah. 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 As the one being challenged, Brock had his choice of terms. So you get to, like, lay out how we're going to duel, I guess. Maybe you get to choose the guns and the pace. Yeah. Um, And that's, he insisted that they use pistols. So he's choosing the guns. His friends were shocked as Brock is a very large target. He's a big guy. He's yes. like, why would you choose guns? And his opponent was an expert shot. Brock, however, refused to change his mind. When the duelist arrived at the field, he asked Brock to decide how many paces they would take. And Brock insisted that the duel should take place not at the usual range, but at just the length of a handkerchief. So he's like, oh, we're going to stand right in front of each other and we're going to fucking shoot each other. <laughs> That's so fucked up. That's is so crazy. I love that. Who is this man? <laughs> he is unhinged. unhinged. <laughs> the duelist declined and subsequently was forced to leave the regiment. Wow. So he was just like, what? What? Because you'll both like, die. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm not afraid of anything. I boxed through Guernsey as a child. Do you I think? swam the English Channel. I'm an eighth son <laughs> yeah you, you think you think you got shit on me nope oh, man <laughs> the length of a handkerchief that kills me so this contributed to brock's popularity and reputation among his fellow officers as so they the, didn't do the duel so no the guy like was like i don't want to do that and he's like fine you gotta leave then bye so he's like challenged him to the duel and then was like totally embarrassed and left good um, so it contributed to his reputation as this duelist had a formidable reputation and was reportedly regarded as like a bully in the regiment. Yeah. So during his time with this regiment, Brock served in the Caribbean where he fell ill with fever and nearly died. He did not fully recover until returning to England in 1793. Not good. And uh, that's the extent of Brock's Caribbean vacation. Oh. Okay. Is like... <laughs> This duelist and he got getting food fever. poisoning. Is yeah. what it sounds like. Back in Britain, he spent much of his time recruiting, and he was placed in charge of recruits on the Isle of Jersey. He purchased his majority on the twenty seventh of June, seventeen ninety five, and rejoined his regiment in seventeen ninety six when the rest of his men returned from the West Indies. On the 28th of October, 1797, Brock purchased the rank of Lieutenant Colonel for 3,000 pounds and became acting commanding officer of the regiment, assuming substantive command on the 22nd of March, 1798, with the retirement of Lieutenant Colonel Frederick Keppel. The rank was apparently bought cheaply, so I guess 3,000 pounds is not a lot for buying rank. That sounds like a lot. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, 5,000 pounds is, like, like a million dollars or yeah, something. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, yeah. His predecessor, from whom he purchased the rank, was advised to sell up and leave the army rather than face a court-martial and probable dismissal. 
So the pre Keppel was like, yeah, you better sell this and get out. Otherwise, yeah. you're done. You're done. In 1799, the 49th was assigned to the Helder expedition against the Batavian Republic, which is now known as the Netherlands. Okay. To be led by Sir Ralph Abercrombie. I'm sure they got sick t-shirts. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> like, are, are they all wearing polos? <laughs> all right, men. <laughs> Put on your three polos and yeah. pop all the collars. <laughs> pop those We're collars. We're going to the Netherlands. <laughs> Make sure those colors do not mix well. <laughs> High clash. Uh, and Brock's like, oh no. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> During the troop landings, Brock saw his first combat on the 10th of September, 1799. He's been like moving up the ranks. He hasn't seen any fighting. No. Other than that one almost duel. Yeah, which he won by default. (laughs) He won through intimidation tactics. Yeah. (laughs) Under the command of then Major General John Moore, given that the 49th was in poor shape when Brock took command, they saw little actual combat. Likely, Moore was sparing them and using more experienced troops to establish the beachhead. Finally, on the 2nd of October, the 49th was actively involved in heavy combat at the Battle of Alkmaar where they acquitted themselves well and sustaining only 33 deaths. Out of how many? Uh, I don't know how many are in a company, I guess. Okay. But I but like 33. Okay. I'm it must be a couple hundred if they're like cool, only yeah, 33 deaths. Only 33 dead. <laughs> the 49th have been ordered to proceed up the beaches of Egmont op Z, a steep climb through sand dunes and poor terrain. In the Netherlands? Yeah, I guess so. I have very little understanding of what the Netherlands looks like, I guess, because I just always think like marshlands and dikes. Yeah, and and lots of rolling hills with windmills. Yeah, and and like biking and tulips. Yeah, all those things. No sand dunes. No sand dunes. (laughs) The risks were exacerbated by harassment from French sharpshooters uh, who had excellent cover. After about six hours of heavy fighting, the attack was stopped about a mile short of the British objective. After an hour of close combat, the French began to withdraw. Brock was injured in the fighting when hit in the throat by a spent musket ball. Hurt. Not not nope. dead. Yeah, he was just injured. Okay. But he got hit in the neck. Yeah. That's but it must up. be it must not be like a shot, because they're just saying it's a spent musket ball. So maybe it's Ricochet? like Yeah. His neck cloth prevented a possibly fatal injury. So you're like your cravat. He had an ascot on. (laughs) Yeah. He was literally in his polos wearing an ascot. I guess you're happy about all those pop colors now, (laughs) aren't you? (laughs) I guess. (laughs) In his own words, quote, I got knocked down shortly after the enemy began to retreat, but never quitted the field and returned to my duty in less than half an hour. I'm not a quitter. I'm <laughs> not a quitter. In 1801, Brock was present at the Battle of Copenhagen. His troops were supposed to lead an assault on the forts at Copenhagen. The outcome of the sea battle made such an assault unnecessary, though, and Brock was able to observe firsthand the tactical brilliance of Lord Nelson, who's a, a big Navy okay. guy in British. Yeah, like history. the Lord Nelson Hotel. In yeah, Halifax? that's named for him. Wow. Yeah. After the battle... Fremantle and Brock celebrated the victory with Nelson. In 1802, Brock and the 49th were ordered to Canada. Ooh. So he's doing his stuff in the Netherlands. So you're like, you know what, Brock? You're doing pretty good. You know where you need to go? Canada. Canada. He's like, hooray. And what year is this? Like, what's Canada at this point? Canada is not yet Canada. Okay. But we are in the 1800s. So it's 1802. Okay. Confederation is 
but it's 65 looming. years away. Yeah, it's looming. Yeah. Brock arrived in Canada with the rest of the 49th and was initially assigned to Montreal. Almost immediately in 1804, he was faced with one of the primary problems in Canada. Desertion. Yeah. <laughs> Seven soldiers stole a boat and fled across the river and border into the United States. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I love that, though. It's just like, what's your biggest problem in Canada? Well, people can just leave. Yeah, people just leave. They just steal boats. Because they don't want to be here. <laughs> And I'm a good swimmer. I'd yeah. go after them, but there's too many of there's them. There's too many to go after. Despite having no jurisdiction on American soil, Brock sent a party across the border in pursuit, but the men were never captured. So he's so pissed. He's just like, send the boys. Yeah. We'll find them. Get the foxes. Get the hounds. Get them. Get them. And they don't get them. And they don't get a short time later, Brock received a report from Fort George that some of the garrison were planning to imprison the officers and flee to the U.S. immediately. Okay. So it's just like mutiny. A little bit of drama. Immediately, he boarded the schooner that brought the message and proceeded to Fort George under the command of then-Lieutenant Colonel Roger Hale Sheaf. A hastily assembled honor guard formed to greet Brock's unexpected arrival. Alone on entering the fort, Brock ordered the sergeant of arms to disarm and had him confined. As it was dinner hour, okay. all the soldiers were in the barracks. Brock ordered the drummers to call out the men. He ordered the first officer on the scene, Lieutenant Williams, to bring him a soldier suspected of being one of the mutinous ringleaders. Oh, no. Pinning the man with the saber, Williams took him into custody. The other suspected mutineers were also captured. Did he, like, kill them or just, like... I think they were just imprisoned. Okay. Um, Brock sent the 12 mutineers and seven des deserters to Quebec for court-martial. So I guess they did get the seven deserters. Okay. Maybe they... I I guess, like, I'm following the story is a little weird, but maybe they were they wound up at Fort George. Right. And, like, they're trying... They found yeah. them. The mutineers had planned to jail the officers, save Sheaf, who was to be killed. So they were oh. going to kill the guy in charge, oh. imprison everybody else. Oh, not good. And to cross the Niagara River into the U.S. at Queenston. Seven soldiers were subsequently executed by firing squad. The mutineers testified that they were forced to such measures by the severity of Sheaf's command. They said if they had continued under Brock's command, they would never have done such things. Okay. So they're like, it's just this chief guy. He's awful. Yeah, he's bad. Brock, bad news. <laughs> Brock was evidently upset by the news that the conspirators had been shot. In a botched execution, the firing squad discharged their weapons at too long a distance, so the condemned men were not killed instantly. Oh, that's you have one job. awful. <laughs> so Brock's like, ooh. Yeah, that's really bad. Yeah. Brock's younger brother, John Savory Brock, was compelled to retire from the Royal Navy after his involvement in a mutinous incident. He induced his, quote, his brother midshipman of the fleet at Spithead to assign to sign a round robin against their subjected to the practice of mastheading. He was recommended privately to retire from the service. So also he has like a personal connection to it. Okay. Because his brother was a mutineer as Aww. well. But didn't die. Okay. 
After a period of leave in England over the winter of 1805 to 1806 and promotion to colonel on the 29th of October 1805, Brock returned to Canada temporarily in command of the entire British army there. Wow! By 1806, the United States was becoming increasingly hostile to the British Empire. Relations between the two nations continued to deteriorate until the war finally broke out in 1812. (laughs) I know that one. Yeah. I've heard of that one. At some point, I think we should just do a mini-series on the War of 1812. 1812, Because it's the war that constantly gets mentioned and no one knows anything about. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really important war in Canadian history. It's a big deal. But we really don't talk about it. I know nothing. At all. I just know that it happened in 1812. That's all I know. Oh, and there were Americans. It didn't happen in 1812. It did, but it's not just 1812. It goes to like 1815. Whoa. So people are like, that'd be like calling World War One the War of 1914. Yeah. That's not accurate. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't convey much. No. (laughs) It's just like when it starts. So the United States had grievances at British violations of American sovereignty. Their Navy was impressing U.S. sailors is the big thing. So, you know, press gangs and stuff. Yeah. British were just doing that to American soldiers. Oh, It's like, you're with us now. They're like, welcome aboard. Uh Uh-huh. There are also restrictions of American trade by the British and an American desire to gain territory by invading and annexing the poorly defended British North American colonies. Other American grievances included blockades of French ports, um, and they also believed the British were inciting Native Americans to attack American colonies, which is like half true. Um, There is some of that going on, but... uh, Not as much as they think there is. Turns out Native Americans don't like Americans that much on their own. Oh, interesting. They don't need a ton of motivation all the time. They don't need everyone else (laughs) to say it too. So there's like a a block, I guess, in the U.S. that's calling for an invasion of Canada to punish the British Empire and to lessen the threat to American interests represented by Native Americans. At the same time, the U.S. leaders believed that a growing population needed new territory. Some imagined the United States was destined to control all of the North American continent, which is later kind of wrapped up into like Manifest Destiny, like the philosophy of American expansion. Okay. Americans assumed that Canadian colonists would rise up and support the invading U.S. armies as liberators. And that, as Thomas Jefferson famously wrote, conquering Canada would be, quote, a mere matter of marching. So they're just like, Canadians don't want to be part of the British Empire either. So in response to this emerging threat, Brock moved quickly to bolster Canadian defenses. He strengthened the fortifications of Quebec by building walls and an elevated battery. Brock succeeded in creating a formidable defense position due largely to his military reading, which included several volumes on the science of running and setting up artillery. That sounds stimulating. (laughs) I, I kind of get why he doesn't have a wife. Yeah. He seems kind of boring. He's a little boring. <laughs> when he's not boxing or dueling, he's just reading he's books. He's just reading. The perfect man. I'm going out with the girls. <laughs> he also rearranged and strengthened the provincial marine. He ordered warships to be built and developed a naval force capable of holding the Great Lakes. This was to be pivotal during the war. But Brock's appropriation of civilian lands and labor for military use brought him into conflict with civilian authorities led by Thomas Dunn. So he's taking like a total war effect of like everything and everybody is part of the conflict and we okay. need to like leverage the home front basically. But 
um, Thomas Dunn is like, hey, whoa, whoa, we're not even at war. Yeah. <laughs> you got to calm down. You got to you gotta relax, buddy. Take a step back. So back in 1807, Brock was appointed Brigadier General by Governor General Sir James Henry Craig, the new commander of Canadian forces. He was able to command all forces in Upper Canada in 1810. During this time, Brock continued to ask for a posting in Europe. So like all, you know, people in Canada, they're really just looking to get back to Europe. Yeah, he wants to go back. They see this stint as like, here's a great opportunity for me to build my reputation so I can get a really cushy job back home. Yeah. In June of 1811, he was promoted to Major General. And in October of that year, Lieutenant Governor Francis Gore left for England. Brock was sent to Upper Canada as a senior officer, commander of the troops and senior member of the Executive Council, putting him fully in charge of both the military and civil authority. He was usually referred to as president of the council or administrator of Upper Canada as his kind of job titles, but it's not an official title. When permission to leave for Europe finally came in early 1812, Brock declined the offer, believing he had a duty to defend Canada in the war against the United States. So he's been converted. Okay. He's like, that's good. No, I'm going to stay. I like all this maple syrup. Beavers are cute. (laughs) It's growing on me. As Upper Canada's administrator, Brock made a series of changes to prepare for war. He amended the Militia Act to allow use of all available volunteers and ordered enhanced training of the raw recruits despite opposition from the provincial legislature. He continued strengthening and reinforcing defenses. Brock also began seeking out First Nation leaders, such as Shawnee Chief Tecumseh, to build alliances with him against the Americans in the event of war. Although the conventional wisdom of the day was that Canada would fall quickly in the event of an invasion, Brock pursued these strategies to give the colony a fighting chance. Good. Meanwhile, back in England, Brock's brother William faced financial difficulties as the bank in which he was a senior partner failed. So Isaac's commissions had been purchased with a loan that was entered into the bank's books by his brother and so the brocks faced a demand for payment so that's where he got the three thousand pounds from so isaac could not meet the three thousand pound debt but made over the whole of his salary to his brother irving to be used for whatever was considered most critical his commission debt or the family's other bills okay so now he's like makes enough money that he is despite being the eighth son right is basically like the head of the family right, in a lot okay. of ways so the united states declared war on britain on the 18th of june 1812 despite his preparations brock was worried about canada's security in upper canada despite the militia there was only one british regular infantry regiment a detachment of retired veterans and a company of artillery these had to be dispersed among several widely separate posts Brock's advantage was that the armed vessels of the provincial marine controlled the lakes and allowed him to move his reserves rapidly between threatened points. Okay. So he's got a bit of a plan, it seems like. He's got it sort of under control, but he's definitely worried. Brock continually kept the commanders of posts informed of all developments. When news of outbreak of war reached him, he sent a canoe party under the noted trader and voyager William McKay to the British outpost at St. Joseph's Island on Lake Huron. 
His orders to the commander, Captain Charles Roberts, allowed him to stand on the defensive or attack the nearby American post at Fork McKinnock at his discretion. Roberts immediately launched an attack on Fort McKinnock with a scratch of force regulars, fur traders, and First Nations warriors. On the 17th of July, the American garrison was taken by surprise, not being aware that war had been declared yet, and they surrendered. Oh, what a sad. We're great. (laughs) (laughs) This war immediately encouraged First Nations tribes, who had hitherto been neutral or undecided, to give their active support to the British. They hoped to expel the American settlers from their territories west of the Appalachian Mountains. Brock felt he needed to go further. He was hampered by Governor General George Prevost, who had replaced Craig in late 1811. Prevost's orders from the government and his own inclinations were to emphasize defense. Prevost kept the bulk of his forces in Lower Canada to protect Quebec and oppose any attack into the United States. Brock also believed that he was handicapped by inertia and defeatism among the legislature and other officials. He wrote to Prevost's adjunct general, quote, My situation is most critical, not from anything the enemy can do, but from the disposition of the people. The population, believe me, is essentially bad. A full belief possesses them that this province must inevitably succumb. This prepossession is fatal to every exertion. Legislators, magistrates, militia officers, all have embedded the idea, and they are so sluggish and indifferent in all their respective offices that the artful and active scoundrel is allowed to parade the country without interruption and commit all imaginable mischief. What a change an additional regiment would make in this part of the province— Most of the people have lost all confidence. I, however, speak loud and look big. Okay. Like, tell us how you really feel, Brock. Like, I love, I look big. I feel proud and look big. Which means you you see the big picture, but also. I look big. And I mean that in two respects. Yeah, literally and figuratively. So me, big guy, Isaac Brock. Big guy. (laughs) And we are going to leave it there. No. Because we are going to come back for Isaac Brock part two when we really get into the War of 1812. I'm excited. I'm ready. Will there be more dueling? Will there be more swimming? God, I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Minute Women podcast. You can always get all your information for Minute Women, including links to all our social media pages and our merchandise and all of the episodes on our website. It's www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. And make sure you rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. And you can stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. Bye.